From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, and the Pacifica Radio Network, this is Progressive Spirit. ProgressiveSpirit.net. I'm John Schott. My guest this week is Jenna Yokoyama. Jenna is a co-host of the radio program Pacific Underground. You can catch the program locally on KBOO and via podcast through SoundCloud and iTunes. According to its website, Pacific Underground is a show by Asians and Pacific Islanders, APIs, taking the mic into our own hands. I even remember like as a kid having to talk to the IRS for my dad because he didn't speak enough English. I kind of come from this dual background where I understand the struggles of of having immigrant parents, but I was fortunate enough to have one that wasn't. Um, but I can see how difficult that was for my friends. I remember having friends who, you know, they, their parents came over from even China or from Vietnam, and they constantly had to educate their parents. They had to sit in on parent-teacher night, that sort of thing. So even though that seems small, Ultimately, at the end of the day, that has a huge effect on families. Jenna Yokoyama is going to talk to me about the show and offer her insights on being an API. Welcome, Jenna, to Progressive Spirit. Thanks for having me. Tell me about your program, Pacific Underground. Pacific Underground is a show that focuses on social justice issues. Um, it's it's primarily about the Asian American, um, Asian Pacific Islander experience here in Oregon. But we do talk about the larger like national issues, but it is run by people here at KBU, only volunteers out of KBU who are APA. What are some of the topics that uh, you talk about on the show? Uh, one of our recent shows was about um, mixed race identity, what it is to you know be half Asian, and what's that like to come from a bicultural background and the challenges and the uniqueness that the people um, who have that background face. You say Asian, but that's a pretty big label. Oh, it's huge. What are the problems with using the, the just the simple word Asian American? Well, the first thing that's kind of problematic, I don't even want to say kind of, it is problematic, mm -hmm. is that the term Asia or Asian is not how Asian people themselves would define who they are. The concept of Asia and Europe is a white concept. It is a European concept, right, who is relatively East and who is relatively West. Um, and so it's a way of looking at this huge region, essentially half of the world, through a European lens and saying everybody who is, you know, to the left or to the right of us is uh, in this one huge subgroup. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you go to Japan, like uh, I can only speak to uh, from Japan because I'm my family's from there. It's calling people Asian is is something kind of unusual to them. They that is an American more concept to them that we would see ourselves as Asian. They see themselves as Japanese or Korean or Chinese. They don't see themselves as kind of this unified culture like we think of it here in the United States. We say mm -hmm. the Asian district and. I think that your average American is pretty aware that we're not just saying like, oh, they're all just generically Asian. We, when we say Asian, we tend to have an understanding. We're talking about Chinese people, Japanese people, Vietnamese people, which, you know, in America, it seems okay. Mm. But when you really talk to these individual communities, what you find is that there's an erasure of their culture because they're just generically being put into this group of Asian. But it often erases what individual problems are happening for these communities, um, what their backgrounds are. You know, when you think about, say, uh, most Japanese Americans that you'll meet in this country, their family has been here from uh, at least the 1900s, the early 1900s. 
while when you meet most Vietnamese families, they came over in the 1970s. So mm. in terms of history and economic advantages and even what immigration laws they came under, it, it really varies. Um, and so you don't have a unified experience between Asian communities here in the United States, even though that's how they're viewed. And yet at the same time, that label needs to be used in some ways to um, advocate empowerment. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I, I see why in Asia, you know, they don't they don't need this term of Asian. They don't need mm -hmm. to come together as a big continent. You know, they're they're governments that can support themselves. But here in the United States, um, especially here in Portland, because there are so few Asian Americans and Asian Pacific Islanders, uh, they're having to come together in order to have a voice because mm -hmm. otherwise you're you're. 0.1% of the population. But if all APIs join together, then they're, they're more like, you know, one or 2%. And so they do have a little bit more of a voice. And I find that really, really fascinating, because that's not how I grew up. I grew up in Southern California, where you have these very large groups, so you know, the Chinese American community can kind of be in their own advocacy group. Well, that doesn't as happen as much up here. And it's simply just because of the numbers. And so I find it really fascinating that you see countries that are historically enemies, mm. like Korea and Japan or China and Japan, and you have these communities having to kind of let go of these historical hatred and, and having to come together and say, like, well, we need to advocate for each other despite the past. And I think that's easier, you know, for immigrant children who don't have that historical tie to the past. But it's definitely still there. And it's something that the Asian American community constantly has to overcome in order to stay unified. And it's a struggle. Does it take uh, a generation or two or three or more? I think it does. You know, recently um, on social media, this really interesting letter went around about Black Lives Matter. And it was a it was a crowdsourced letter written by young Asian Americans for their parents or for their grandparents. Historically, uh, most Asian cultures are anti-black, and I'll just say they are very racist. And I think mm. it has a history of ignorance, um, like you know, most racism is embedded in. But it's hard to explain to your parents from Asia who have no experience of growing up in diversity what it is to want to advocate for black Americans. And so they had to write this letter that was crowdsourced by hundreds of and hundreds of people you know, to just explain this concept. So, you know, it, I can see why young APIs were able to do this, because in the letter they said, you know, black Americans have been our friends. They're the people that we go to the dances with and we do homework with and we play sports with. And their parents have no concept of that. And so I think the, the older generation has a hard time advocating because they're still feeling a bit of oppression. They're still feeling a bit of um, exotification about themselves. And so they're looking at their kids like, well, what do, what do they have to do with us? And mm -hmm. I think young APIs see that it is an inclusive struggle for all people of color, and, and they're trying to lead that struggle right now. If you're just joining us on Progressive Spirit, my guest is Jenny Yokoyama. She is uh, one of the hosts of Pacific uh, Underground. Tell me a little bit more about that particular show in terms of the hosts. 
unfortunately, we don't have as much diversity in terms of hosts as we'd like. Uh, right now, we, we seem to be made up of two Filipino-Americans, two Japanese-Americans, and one Chinese-American. So we don't have as much like Southeast representation as we would like. Uh, but I find it just really fascinating because in the history of Filipino and Japanese relations, they are not historically friends. I, I have every sympathy for why the Filipino culture completely and feels threatened by Japanese presence. And historically, they have been invaded upon and, and manipulated and, you know, sold into slavery, all these sorts of things. And so to me, Pacific Underground is such an American experience mm. where you have these people. We, we are all uh, children of immigrants, and, you know, and here we are speaking on behalf of one another and getting along and, and really kind of, uh, melting these ideas of of hatred and racism, and saying, "Hey, here's how here's how you advocate in America. Here's how you be Asian Americans." And it's been an interesting balance trying to not how would you, what is that word gener, gen, genericize? Gener mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand what you mean to kind of make everything the same. Yeah, to, it, right? it, you know, it's like we're we're trying to say here's. API, right, this term Asian Pacific Islander, which is massive and encompasses thousands of islands and, and I don't even know how many countries, you know. So we have this struggle where we have to try to sound like a unified voice while at the same time recognizing all these really individual, unique stories and these individual struggles and, and how do you find that balance between the Asians in this country who are privileged. There is an Asian American privilege in this country. You know, I, I'd say that definitely, like Japanese Americans carry a lot of privilege that is uh, talked about a lot in the activist circles amongst Japanese Americans, how much privilege we carry, say, compared to someone from Palau, or, or somebody, you know, who's from India right now, like the, the types of interactions with the world, the racism that they experience, or just the amount of opportunity they have in this country. It's a huge thing to tackle API. It's, it's this mm -hmm. massive thing. But we try. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about uh, uh, some of that difference then, some of that privilege? I guess it's hard for me to see how one group from one our part of Asia, from the Philippines versus Japan, might be privileged differently here in Portland. I'll speak from Japanese-American perspective, is uh, Japanese-Americans, because we've been here for a really long time, and also when it, um, we, we just have a lot more, right? We we're more established. We, we tend to have parents who speak English. We have grandparents who speak English. So, there's, okay. so that's one kind of privilege is it was not a struggle for me to figure out how to get into college. Mm -hmm. You know, my mother went to college and, uh, and here in the United States, and my grandparents were born here. And so that, that is one small thing that I think oftentimes people don't think about, like how difficult it is to navigate just the educational system if, one, if both your parents were not educated in the United States. Uh, well, here, I'll just put this in. My father was from Japan. Or, mm -hmm. And so I did not turn to my dad when it came to figuring out how to navigate the educational system growing up. I was very, very lucky to have a parent from the United States. Uh, my dad did not ask me about the SATs. He had no idea that they existed. My dad didn't understand about how college exams worked. You know, when he was growing up, high school was optional and was privatized in Japan. So his mm. idea that high school was free and all these things, he didn't even have a concept of them. 
Um, and, you know, I even remember, like, as a kid having to talk to the IRS for my dad because he didn't speak enough English. You know, so hmm. I, I kind of come from this dual background where I understand the struggles of, of having immigrant parents, but I was fortunate enough to have one that wasn't. Um, but I can see how difficult that was for my friends. I remember having friends who, you know, they, their parents came over from even China or from Vietnam, and they constantly had to educate their parents. They had to sit in on parent-teacher night, that sort of thing. So even though that seems small, ultimately at the end of the day, that has a huge effect on families. You can imagine that, say, somebody who comes from English-speaking parents, who come from American parents, are more likely to get scholarships because, mm -hmm. one, they just know that they exist and they know how to do that. They have parents who know how to speak to teachers and, and get them help and advocacy. You know, uh, kids who have reading disabilities here in the United States but don't have parents who speak English might not recognize that their children have reading disabilities. So you have these kids who are not as advantaged. Mm -hmm. You know, so that that's a subtle way of explaining where these privileges sort of come from. And then on top of it, we just have built in racism on top of it um, that comes just from the history of the United States invading various countries. Right? right. The Japanese came over here as immigrants. So they were viewed more as hardworking people who brought themselves over and picked themselves up by their bootstraps. Um, while you have Vietnamese Americans uh, who were brought over as refugees and were often looked down upon. And I think we're kind of seeing that in our in our modern mm. kind of politics that are happening. You know, here's these people who are fleeing for their lives, yet we're looking down upon them as being less than. And we're saying, wow, how come you aren't coming here with money? The Japanese came over here with money and they were fine. You know, but people also don't want to speak to the fact that poor Japanese and poor Chinese people were forbidden from coming to the United mm -hmm. States. You know, if you, if you came over here before the 1920s, you came over here with a bit of money because you had to. So there's there's a huge history behind what who has privilege and who doesn't and and it's it's sad because it ultimately has a lot of Asian Americans looked at as though they're less than. Mm -hmm. And does it make divisions then between various uh, Asian American groups? within the United States? Is there still some of these old conflicts that carry over, as you mentioned? Uh, I think it does in a, in a social way. Um, okay. I'm not exactly sure what it's like for, say, younger people today. I'm in my 30s, but when I was a teenager, I went to a school that was um, very diverse. We were actually 40% Asian in my high school, which is very unusual. And, and that was in California. Uh, and this is in Southern California, California. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I thought that... Uh, I would be going to the school that would be very accepting of me. And what I actually found was I encountered racism, really strong Asian on Asian racism for the first time in my life. Um, th so mm. there's definitely this, this hierarchy. People look down on me um, because I was Japanese. And I understood why. It, it came from a historical background. I mean, the rape of Nanking is very much alive in the mind of people. I had Chinese grandmothers yelling at me and, and just sheer anger. And I mean, I completely mm. understand why. And, and, you know, this trickles down to families, that pain, that trauma, it trickles down. And so I just saw a lot of what seemed like Asians kind of getting along mm -hmm. on the surface. But when you started to speak to people, there were these kind of internal hatreds that, that would happen. I mean, it wasn't everybody, definitely. I had a diversity of friends. I had Korean friends and Chinese friends. and But if you asked people, is there an Asian hierarchy 
everybody knew what you were talking about. Everybody, absolutely mm. everybody knew what you were talking about. And it, it wasn't a real idea. It was kind of like here in this country, we kind of have an idea, like white people are on top. Like mm -hmm. there's a huge history as to why that is, but it's real. Um, and Asians definitely, at least when I was growing up, had this concept. And I see where it comes from, and I, and I doubt it's it's erased yet. I mean, it's going to take a few more generations for that to happen. So in, in this country then, do you find then, say, uh, Korean Americans and Japanese Americans uh, still within their own circles and social circles? Do you see intermarriage? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that that's one thing I think is really great about the United States in terms of kind of overcoming this racism that exists within Asia, uh, you see a lot more intermarriage here, and it's not as big of a deal. For example, in Japan, uh, if you're half Japanese and half something else, you're called hafu. And a lot of hafu people are half Japanese and half Korean. So it's hard to tell. You know, they, they look the same. And a lot of them lie. They, they just say, I'm not Korean. I'm full Japanese. They completely try to hide it because mm. of some of the backlash, societal backlash they get. But here in the United States, we don't have that same concept. And maybe your, your parents might not want you to say intermarry, but society is very accepting of it. So I find that a lot of younger people are, are definitely intermarrying, and, and that's just sort of the way it is. You know, mm -hmm. it's like if I wanted to marry another Japanese-American person, that would actually be really difficult for me. There's so few Japanese-Americans, okay. you know. So I, I find that, I mean, I am married actually to a Korean-American. Oh, you are? I am. Okay, well, there it is. I, so, I, guess, I guess you do that. That does happen then. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's, and it's becoming more common, uh -huh. and, and it's, it's nice to see. It's nice, like, in that sense of, like, oh, finally you guys are just getting rid of your old hatred and your old racism and, and coming together and realizing, hey, we're actually pretty similar. We're just people. Jenna Yokoyama is my guest. She's the co-host of Pacific Underground. You can catch it on iTunes and SoundCloud. I want to turn the conversation toward spirituality and what might uh, be the challenges or the dynamics of spirituality and religion uh, in regards to becoming Asian American. An interesting issue here um, when in terms of immigration and what it is to become an Asian American as opposed to being Asian is that a lot of uh, second generation or third generation people have a different religion than their grandparents. Mm -hmm. A lot of, uh, I know I can speak from like my family, is that my family came over here as Buddhists, and now more than half my family is Christian. Okay. So it doesn't create conflict within my family. Everyone is very respectful of one another's beliefs. But because so much of Japanese tradition and our fa familial traditions actually came out of the Buddhist church, we've ended up losing part of those traditions for the people who have become Christian. So it changes the face of your family, and it, and it changes even just how people view our ancestors. I remember when um, my mother converted to Christianity as a child, and when her father died, she was incredibly bereft because according to her beliefs, her father was not going to heaven. Okay. And this was a huge point of conflict for her. You right. know, she loved her father. He was a good man. You know, he didn't kill anybody. He was a generally a good person. But it was in conflict with her newfound beliefs. And 
it, there was an internal struggle where I tried to explain her, well, you know, those weren't grandpa's beliefs. Grandpa is Buddhist. Grandpa, you know, believes he's going to be reincarnated or who knows what he believed, but those aren't his beliefs. But, you know, I understand Christianity. There's there's not this idea that there's other religions that can coexist at the same time. To her, it, it's just been incredibly distressing. Yeah. And, you know, so there's there's an internal conflict. I find myself depressed as I really hear that um, because of, of uh, just for a variety of reasons. I mean, to, to, Christianity is quite diverse, too. Uh, and that and that's kind of, to me, uh, the most horrible part of Christianity, <laughs> of that idea that other people are going to hell and all of that kind of stuff, you know, and, and how that has been often inherited with with when people convert, so to speak, they convert to the most um, rigid form of it oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what was really interesting was, like, in terms of Buddhism, um, the type of Buddhism that my family practices is not religious Buddhism. It is Uh philosophical Buddhism. So I tried to explain to my mom at the time, well, you know, according according to our beliefs, you can be Buddhist and Christian at the Mm -hmm. same time. It's all okay. So maybe it's not as terrible as you think it is. But as an adult now, I understand this grief that my mother was going through more. Maybe it's just my own interpretation, but I've often wondered about what is that sense of loss for her in terms of history, mm-hmm. um, because she was one of the first, you know, her parents were Buddhist, so she's one of the first people who are converting to another belief system, and by deciding that she's going to heaven but her father's not, that means that her grandparents aren't going to be in heaven, and her great-grandparents, and, you know, generations before felt very connected to ancestry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Japanese do have a sense of ancestors and honoring ancestors and being connected to ancestry. And so much of that has to do with Buddhism and Shintoism and being you know, inundated in the culture. So when you gave up Buddhism and you give up Shintoism, you take on Christianity, you are more than just worried about where grandpa is going to heaven or not. You are giving up your entire ancestry and how you honor them and, and how you connect with that and your own thinking of your own future. What Absolutely. does that mean? What does that mean when I die? Who is going to be there? Yeah, you know? yeah. I just, I just would wish that your mom had been able to find, were able to keep her own traditions. Uh, and I wonder that also speaks then the pressure she must have felt somewhere to convert. Yeah, I think for her, she always kind of wanted a, a sense. I don't know if necessarily she is Christian per se. But I see that she wanted a a way to address her feeling that there was something bigger than herself spiritually. And I think that that was difficult for her within the Buddhist church because mm. there is not that concept. It is the, actually the exact opposite concept. And um, I guess one, one thing to kind of put my mom's beliefs in context that this I find very interesting is – my mom grew up right after World War II. She was born in 1948. So she's mm. growing up in a time that is incredibly racist towards Japanese people. Yep. You know, they had just been released from the concentration camps and stuff. And so to deny being Japanese was the right thing to do. Mm. So a lot of the Buddhist churches, you know, they really struggled right after the war. And they didn't get the same kind of membership coming back. Uh, a lot of Japanese people didn't want to be associated with looking Japanese, I mean, even though you can't mm-hmm. really let go of your looks, um, but to not come back to these communities and all these sorts of things. And so my mom's dialogue had a lot to do with 
how do I look as American as possible? And when I say American, people mean white. How do I look as much like a white American as possible? And, and obviously I, the, to pick the dominant religion. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that was like a conscious choice, but I mm. noticed that uh, a lot of my family members in her generation view things that they see as Japanese as being problematic. Mm. And so, yeah, like Japanese people speaking Japanese. Japanese was kind of banned from my family speaking it. Um, I don't speak Japanese because we were told, like, don't speak that. You don't need that. Mm. And um, my my grandparents also thought it was kind of weird that I wanted to continue Buddhism. Like, aren't you an American? So, you know, there's – it's it, – that's maybe one of the problematic sort of internal struggles, I think, that that happens here in the United States is how do you keep that sense of culture that are – embedded in these religions and then when you don't have that culture here in the United States to back it up you actually end up losing your culture along with your religion. And and of course, you know, Buddhism is hip for white Americans. Um and so that you know, they want to go and have zen pizza or whatever and uh do all of this kind of thing. Uh but it's a very and and, and so there there's also really a cheapening of 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 the traditions of themselves too because they get characterized and uh, stereotyped. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very strange. I mean, because uh, like we at my temple that I go to, we're having our, our summer festival, like fundraiser, uh-huh. you know that that's coming up, and um, it's called Obon. And here in Portland, people have been very respectful, and um, they've come out and they've celebrated, and it's been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are Obon festivals that happen all over the United States at, at these Japanese American temples. And I remember maybe like 10 years ago when anime, like cosplay, started to become popular, uh, people would show up in their anime costumes to Mm. our like religious festival that I – we always compare it to the Day of the Dead, like Mexican Day of the Dead. It's a day that you come out to honor your ancestors. And like here were people coming dressed up as cartoons just (laughs) because – oh, well, this is an Asian or this is a Japanese festival, so therefore I can just show up in anything remotely Japanese and think this is cool. And I'm thinking uh, like, wow, you guys really don't understand that this is about our our past. Mm-hmm. This is about like literally dead grandma. This is not yeah. your moment to like bring out your Yu-Gi-Oh sword. This yeah. is really strange. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like wearing a clown costume to a funeral or wherever. All right. Jenny Yokoyama, my guest on Progressive Spirit, uh, co-host of Pacific Underground. Catch it on the fourth Friday from 11 to 12 on KBOO. Thanks, Jenna, for being with me. Thanks, John. You've been listening to Progressive Spirit. Learn more about the show and find links to podcasts at progressivespirit.net. Progressive Spirit can be heard on various radio stations through the Pacifica Radio Network and worldwide through your favorite podcast app. From KBOO in Portland, I'm John Shuck. Be well.